for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, it's great to be back here uh, at the North School. Um, I trust you've been informed and challenged and motivated by this series, looking at the teachings of Jesus as he sat down overlooking that very calm Galilee lake. It sounds idyllic when you, the sun is shining, um, but the topography of the area of, that, of Galilee is staggeringly hilly when we went there this year. And, to give sudden, and it's given to sudden squalls of volatile weather changes because of the hills. And uh, the conditions can just one moment, beautiful, next moment, wow. We were walking through Jerusalem, um, some of the, uh, in the um, Christian quarter, and there were these narrow alleyways. And we were just walking along. We just had a coffee, Sue and I. And all of a sudden, from nowhere, there's a sound of a rushing wind. It's a bit like Acts of the Apostles. I got excited for a moment, and I turned around. And what it, it was just a, a wind that blown up, and it lifted this three-meter-wide uh, marketplace umbrella, and it was, had a, a, a huge long pole on it, and it flew all the way at Sue. And she wasn't even aware. So I grabbed hold of her, and I pulled her to one side, and this long pole with an umbrella on it just hurtled by her, and it... it I do believe it, it could have threatened her life. Just one moment, everything is fine. Next moment, bang, and your life's in danger. And the other thing about this terrain in uh, that part of Israel is that it's prone to sudden floods. Um, they're flash floods, and from the high hills into the ravines and onto the plains. The bottom of these ravines look beautiful in the summer. You've got palm trees, and it's all glorious. But... All of a sudden, they can turn to torrents of river. I, I YouTubed one of these uh, videos where it shows how a dry riverbed um, can quickly be overwhelmed with torrents of stormwater. Even the cameraman, the cameraman had to leg it out the way because of it, just the impact of it. Now, Jesus, having spoken about being salt and light on this Sermon on the Mount, where you work and live, dealing with the dangers of outbursts of anger, warning against adultery, not just of action, but the, but the heart to lust. Divorce, note the no-fault variety coming through now. Teaching about revenge, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, how to pray effectively, not letting bodily appetites rule you, fasting, honouring God with your money, keeping a right balance with possessions, not judging others, thrown in for good measure, a few warnings, proclaiming the spiritual stuff that coming out of your mouth, but having hearts that do not do the will of God. So that's what, that's a summary of the Sermon on the Mount when he, he, he stood there. And he concludes with these words as he resounded out to the multitudes of ordinary men and women and kids who wanted to know how to live this extraordinary life they, was, they had observed coming out of Jesus. So here we go. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. Jesus therefore said, Therefore, if everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against and beat it that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone, everyone 
who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and boy, do they blow in that part of the world, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, following Jesus and applying his teachings are not in the same league as horoscopes. I want to say that. Actually, Jesus' teaching is in league or hand in glove with the Father's heart. That's his teaching comes from the Father. And conversely, horoscopes are in league or hand in glove with you-know-who, the enemy. So we don't have to be doing that with followers of Jesus. Jesus' teachings are the way for life because he is the way. Jesus' teachings are truth because he is the truth, capital T. And his teachings are life because he is the life. So to find the way, the truth and the life you are looking for, and I hope you are, then build your life on embracing what he said. Have you got that? Build your life on this. Sue and I spent the most enjoyable evening this this Thursday with Colin and Pat to attend the Riverside. They're based out of Oldington. Some of you will know them. Colin is a retired builder and he had every right to it enthusiastically to show us around all the extensions he'd done to his house, windows moved, doors put in there. It's, a, it's not just a house, it's a home. And I thought to myself, this man knows how to build well. This evening came together uh, at the end. We, the four of us had spent a wonderful time praying together in, in their front room, arms outstretched, tears in eyes, encount- literally encountering the Father's presence. And as we sat down chatting, they recounted some of their life's journey. Much joy, I think it's 54 years of marriage, give and take a year. They're given to hospitality over these years. Meals to prisoners. On op- I didn't know there was an open prison at one time, Oldington. But they would have prisoners f- for, the, for the lunch on a Sunday to their meeting, have them back to lunch. Prisoners. They put up guests from Romania, ho- hosting guest speakers, ministering to local churches, telling hilarious stories how to d- make do with little, even sharing maternity dresses because you haven't got two pennies to rub together. Do you remember those days? You, um, well, no, many of you won't remember those days, but um, there were days when we had to make things go a long way. Feeding others, always doing well, always doing good, serving other people. And I thought, this man is more than a builder of bricks. They are both living three-dimensional examples of putting into practice the building of their lives on the rock of Jesus' teaching. But they also described the many storms that had hit them that would submerge others. An overpowering freak gust of wind on a French motorway as they were towing their caravan down uh, through France. And it was a freak gust of wind and it blew the caravan off the motorway and before their rearview mirror eyes, the caravan was smashed to bits. They had to, they'd been looking forward to this holiday, but they had to cancel the holiday and go back home. That would sink some people, but not this couple because they're building their lives and their marriages and their family on the rock 
of Jesus' teaching. Colin was used to climbing church steeples with high ladders as part of his job. But one day, don't know what happened, but he fell down the stairs at home. He broke his neck. He was in hospital for five weeks while two metal rods were placed in his neck. And the, the doctor said before he had the operation, you might not survive this, but he survived it. A freak thing happened. Overcoming, then overcoming life-threatening illnesses. Why were they still together, praise and praising God, in, I think Colin's in his 80s now, worshipping God because they had built their life upon Jesus' teachings. And though the winds came and the rain came down, because how they positioned their house, yeah, not the bricks and mortar, but their house, who they were, and how were they going to build, when the storms came, it stood. And I'm glad we've got heroes and heroines in our church like that, haven't you? Because we need older generation to show us who have gone through that it's possible to keep your eyes on Jesus when you lose your caravan, you lose your holiday, you lose your health, your life threatened, and you still keep giving and giving and giving. And they are happy, they are blessed to be a part of this church. You know, it's simply delightful to see a multi-generational church family emerge here. It's precious. It's one of the Father's ways, Heavenly Father's ways, of passing on the inspiring role models, huge amounts of wisdom, love and prayer to the next generation that's coming through. The opportunities for this emerging generation, as some of you are standing, sitting here this morning, it's, it's awesome for you. You know when they talk on radio about the, the, the 70s? I remember, the, I like the 70s music. I only can dance the 70s way when I go to a wedding disco. I can't dance any other way than the 70s. Yeah, the 80s, I forgot about the 80s. The 90s, I don't know what they're on about. But the noughties, I said to Sue, why do they keep going? Why was that, that generation so naughty? She says, I don't know what you're about. She said, well, it says the noughties. This was last week. She says, it was the noughties, the noughts, the millennium. Oh, that's why they call it the noughties. I thought they'd identify as a really naughty generation. I'm getting old. But you have got an amazing opportunity, this next generation coming through. You're going to fight and win battles that we have never had, we, we don't know anything about. And it reminds me of Elijah, that great prophet of God, how he raised up, he called that young Elisha, the, the next generation of prophetic ministry, to follow him. In 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21, I've got time to read it. it was, so let me read it from this. When called, Elijah called Elisha. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen. He must have been well off, actually. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak upon him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, because Elijah's not messing around. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come and follow you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? 
In other words, a very significant thing that he'd done for him because he'd given him the cloak of anointing, the cloak of calling. So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burnt the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. What a generous heart he had. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This is a call to radical discipleship to follow the Lord by being with Elijah. Elijah was chosen by Elisha was chosen by Elijah to follow him and learn his ways, to carry the anointing, to turn the hearts of God's people away from the demonically rooted false fertility gods called Baal worship, which was stealing their hearts and their devotion. Elijah blurted out when he was first challenged, Yes, but first let me say goodbye to mum and dad. A similar story is recorded in Luke 9, verse 61 to 62. Jesus said, there's another occasion, Jesus was talking with somebody, and it says here, still another person said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That might have been a Jewish tradition, I guess it is, or it might be a politeness. But what did Jesus say to this man? He said, no one puts his hand to the plough and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He was referring back to this moment when Elijah was calling Elisha. There's a challenge here. Jesus saw the kingdom being expressed through Elijah to the next generation. And I believe there is a huge call upon this generation coming through. To be radical. To be radical. Elisha went back, gave them a kiss, slaughtered the oxen and plough, broke any, any hold of the god of mammon or money or materialism, and he trusted Elijah's God to supply all his needs as he ran to meet his destiny. And Elijah was a man who knew the provision of God when times were tough. If you know anything about the story of Elijah... Apostle Paul, later on through the centuries, he he touched on the same thing because he found the same reality. He wrote to the church in Philippi, but my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Some of you will know the story we've told before. When we had got two pennies rubbed together, um, somebody said to us, you need a holiday, so we booked to go to Mablethorpe-on-Sea. Not that glamorous. And we have to teach our kids, guys, we haven't got enough money, but we're going to trust God will provide for us. So the kids sat there with a book in spade, with their little cases on the sofa. And we said, we just, what, are you wait, what are you waiting for, mum and dad? We're waiting for, for God to give us the money to get there. And a knock came on the door an hour and a half later. And all we heard was some thing be pushed through the letterbox. And we opened it up and it was 50 quid. That did something to our kids that God is our provider. We got to Mabel, thought we had enough money for um, ice cream and all that. We had to go back to, we had to go on to Gainsborough. We hadn't got enough money to get the car there. We had, and we, we just got to trust God. We just got to trust God. And halfway along, I wanted to go spend a penny in the woods. I forget the name of the forest, but there's a forest up there. I went to spend a penny in the woods, and I was having a, a wee-wee, and I looked down, and it was five quid in the middle of nowhere. 
that does something for the kids, doesn't it? It does something for me. And we got there. And uh, Sue's dad gave Sue a fiver as he loved her and shook her hand. And we got back to Loughborough. They're exploits, yeah? You, you will find that God, the God of exploits, is the same God as he was yesterday, today, and forever. He's a supernatural God who can provide for us, but it's a challenge. There is a challenge facing us all, but particularly the millennial believers, because the time is coming and now is when this emerging generation will have to find fresh radical approach to handling wealth to fuel the resource, the ongoing drive of the kingdom and resource in the local church. You're going to have to find it. You're going to have to learn to be radical in your giving because you won't always be able to rely on the older generation who understand this divine principle of provision and giving. It will happen. And God believes calling you for a church that's radical. And a generation that's radical. Yes, I, and I thank God for people in this church. I thank God for the young generation who are seeing it. But please, if you're not seeing it, please get it. Because the days are too big to not get this. We need to teach our children how to give. Right from the early days, we taught our kids, okay, here's your pocket money. This is what you work for. And you give a tenth of your pocket money. You think, you hard, Graham. No. I'm being, I'm, I'm being biblical because I want to train our children in that time to learn how to honour God in all aspects. And when our kids grew up, the first thing, like, not a deal, just do it, just give Honour God with our finances. Because there's a growing sense of entitlement. You see, you cannot be my disciple, Jesus said, unless you deny yourself. It's not a day for followers, this is a day for disciples. All true righteousness begins by accepting the fact that we must serve somebody. No man can serve himself and the kingdom of God any more than he can serve money and, the God at the, and God at the same time. True righteousness begins when we make a decision to seek God and do God's will rather than our own. An unknown quote, but brilliant. You see, Elijah's radical stance was against the false prophets of Baal. It was awesome. He challenged, how many was it? 400, 300 false prophets of Baal? And he baited them. He said, well, I'm not going to tell you, so you've got to read it. It's too long. But he made a stand to save Israel from this false teaching, this going after the false gods, so that the future destiny of God's people may be secure. Now, Baal worship simply represents the dark and depraved side of human nature. For example, Baal Peor was the god of sexual license and represented the sexually depraved inclinations of human nature. Molech and Baal of child sacrifice. You see, Elijah's, Elijah's heir, Elisha, the prophet, continued the determination, it says, to end Baal worship. What shook me when people say, how did you get on Israel? What impacted you most? It was the fact, when we looked around, so we're taken around as, um, to the archaeological sites, the Old Testament sites where, okay, this, te- this place of worship to Yahweh um, was there. And next to it, 
was another altar built to Baal. Within meters. And Solomon, you know, he's reputed to be a, a, a great man of God. And he built the most magnificent Solomon's temple. But he got involved with stuff he shouldn't have got involved in. And he allowed the same pagan worship to be established on the Mount of Olives, 10 minutes walk away from the Temple Mount. We did the walk, it's 10 minutes. So, worshipping God, going down the hill and going up to the Mount of Olives to worship these other gods. We think that'd be incredible, but that's what happened. And Jesus said from the Beatitudes, if you are looking lustfully at another person, you are building your life on sand. And his teaching is still relevant in our sexualized society. And both men and women are susceptible to the temptation of looking and getting hooked on pornography. The temptation of instant sexual excitement is so easily accessible that long-term damage to intimacy becomes profound towards God and to others. The shame it produces is profound. The danger of escalation has snared many in our pastoral care. We, we see this, unfortunately. It imprisons some. It, leaves, it literally imprisons them. We've seen people imprisoned because of the, the degradation and getting into, it goes from bad to worse. And it leaves relationships in marriages ruined. If you're beginning to build your life on this sand, stop, walk away and rebuild your life on Jesus. Jesus took your shame on the cross. So do, you don't have to live in shame. The writer to the Hebrews said this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who is for the, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love 2 Corinthians 15, for, sorry, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It said, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it a wonderful verse? Our hotel, um, if you can call it a hotel, <laughs> where we stayed in Jerusalem the, fir the first five days of our Israel tour, it was, it was by a bus station just outside the Damascus Gate of yeah, the city. Then we got taken on about day three to see Golgotha and the Garden Tomb. Golgotha, we discovered, is behind the bus station, <laughs> virtually next to where our hotel was. It's like, oh my word. Jesus was crucified in full public view outside the Damascus Gate on the Damascus Road. That's what it's called, the Damascus Road. And now it's a bus station. Uh, and it says in the scriptures that people mocked him. He, he didn't, you know, as the artist painted a loincloth for him to preserve his modesty. That's artist imagination. He was crucified naked for the world to sneer and laugh at him. 
And Jesus, it said, he despised the shame of that in order to win you and me to his love, to the Father. Beautiful. He dealt with the shame on the cross. There are some helpful resources available both for not only those who have become drawn into this stuff, but for the people who have been affected by it. We've seen wives in tears as they've discovered this. But there's hope. But there's hope. It says in James 5.17, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain on the earth by the space of three years and six months. So here's Elijah. An what he's saying it, he was an ordinary guy when he stepped down to take on the prophets of Baal. Right? He had passions. He could have gone up the mountainside, but he chose to not do that, rather to embrace what God had called him to do. And what I like about Elijah, and I love about Jesus, that Elijah was a man of prayer, but Jesus was the prayer, wasn't he? He just prayed. He, Jesus would, it was, his, it was a part of who he was to go and pray. He made time for regular prayer. The apostles caught it. You know, when that guy was healed um, at Beautiful Gate, it says in Acts chapter 2, as the disciples were going up, as the apostles were going up to pray at 3 o'clock, and they were moving in the supernatural because that they were walking with Jesus. Now, Elijah, he had this, this wonderful balance between passion and prayer. And Elijah prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years. Man, alive. That's a good prayer life, isn't it? But you are going to see exploits and the kingdom coming and this generation emerging. You are going to see supernatural stuff happening because you're fighting it in prayer. You're fighting. You're going to see amazing salvations taking place. Your children's children. That's building the house well. That's God's legacy, isn't it? Not just the football managers who want legacy. You should want a legacy. You think, well, if you're married, my, it's not worked out much for me. We're struggling, but we're hanging in. But you don't know what you're building into your, your children's lives for the next generation. It's staying close to Jesus. Sue's got a friend. Where is it? Sue's got a friend, single woman. She's 41, loves God, would love to be married and have children, but she had a, an, an ovary removed several years ago due to a cyst. This year, a large cyst on the other ovary raised concerns, and it had to be have that removed and an hysterectomy this week. She would love to have children, love to be married. When she got the news that this was what 
was needed medically. How did she respond? This is Susan Oates, because she, she got it from her. She went straight to Heavenly Father with lots of tears. She trusts God with her life, and he allows what he allows. She knows she is a loved daughter of God and won't change the view. She spent time just worshipping with YouTube, CDs. She asked trusted friends to pray for her. She said she reminds herself that we are saved onto a battleship and not a cruise liner. Above all, she keeps herself close to Jesus by prayer and reading of the Bible, letting him talk to her through it. You see, prayer, Jesus spoke on prayer. You know, it's, it's, it's just, he, he taught on prayer. He taught on prayer. Tim Keller, some of you will know, a famous teacher, Bible preacher, he said this, the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Your, that's, a, that's a spiritual test of spiritual integrity, integrity, your private prayer life. Now, you may be coming under conviction here, but don't come under condemnation because that's been dealt with at the cross. But if, it, if you are convicted, acknowledge, I'm getting convicted. Do something about it. You know. <laughs> I can't do that for you. Jesus has done everything he can. You see, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, but he won't help us in our apathy. He said the Spirit helps us. in When we pray, the Spirit will help us in our weakness. And I find, I find I'm weak in prayer. Yeah? I really, I'm not strong in prayer. I'm just doing it. And I find the Spirit helps me in my weakness, but he's never helped me in my apathy. And that's where there may be a need to sort that aspect out. One of the greatest, John Piper, um, very insightfully said this, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Oh, that had to hurt. It's so good, I'm going to say it again. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not for, for the lack of time. Look, if we want to build well, like Jesus, because he left a warning, he left a promise and a warning. If you build well, it will stand the test of time. If you build on sand, it, it could destroy. It could destroy everything you've built. I'd want to conclude, coming back to some verses, I think Barney um, read out from Isaiah chapter 61. Because God is a God of all hope. It's in the Old Testament, isn't it, Isaiah? Okay. The prophet Isaiah is speaking about the fourth, the forthcoming Messiah, Jesus. And it said this, Abim, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty for the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them the beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, 
the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build the ancient ruins and raise up former devastations. He can do that. He can do that. He can do it. But it's up to you. If you want to be radical followers of Jesus, it's up to you. It's up to you. But if you choose to be a radical follower of Jesus, you will find the most exciting life. You'll find he's a God who provides for you. He's a God who will be with you. He's a God of all gentleness and kindness. And not only that, he'll use you. I want that, don't you? I, I want that. I want that. He will build you into your life upon a rock. Upon a rock. That no matter what happens, storms will come, the wind will blow, won't it? But those who build their life on Jesus, you not only survive it, you thrive in it. Amen.